This week's episode is brought to you by the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo. Every market is unique and we want to be able to make sure that we understand the community. We want to make sure that we understand what's unique about that consumer. And so we've seen multiple times where the old model of create one model or design of a store and place that globally doesn't work anymore. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. The vast majority of retail sales still happen in stores. It's no surprise then that we're seeing even the most digitally driven brands venture into physical environments. That's where companies like Starch Creative come into play. Brennan Ball, CEO of the company, spent a good portion of his career in-house working for a brand. Now he's helping other brands and retailers reimagine their experiences, venture into physical environments, and of course, bring the best of community, technology, and cultural activation together. We dig into his work, the trends that he's seeing, but also some of the pitfalls, challenges, and missteps that so many brands have to navigate as they put their plans together. We know a lot of the folks listening to this show have some sort of physical store presence, so we think Brandon's expertise and, of course, his experiences working with brands, it's going to be extremely helpful. Listen in and be sure to get a notepad ready or get your Word doc going because you're going to have some great quotes, insights, and takeaways to share with your team. Brandon, thanks so much for being on the show. It is great to have you on. Thank you, Alicia. Excited to chat with you today. Yeah, we have a lot to get into, and I always love to have folks on the show that are really immersed in this new era of store design and experience. So to kind of give folks the lay of the land, why don't you start by sharing a little bit about Starch Creative and the work that you do for the retail sector? I'd love to. We founded Starch back in 2015. So prior to Starch Creative, I was working on the brand side for VF, running the global retail program and for Vans specifically. And I felt that there was this really good opportunity to help smaller brands accomplish what their retail needs were outside of being a large corporation. Those that had large barriers of entry, I had a team of 30, 40 people at one point, and and there's a lot of brands that I was really passionate about. And I thought there's no way that they could financially take on a team of this size to really move the needle and get to where they want to be. And so it was kind of a hybrid model mentality of how can we do less, better, and have more impact with smaller brands while also helping large brands be a little bit more dynamic and move and not get kind of stuck with the traditional creative that they'd been using year over year, the, the traditional retail mentality of we just update our store every five years and we copy paste everything across the globe. So we started that in 2015 and really honed in as a service provider that was based on being a bolt-on to the existing companies around consumer experiences in retail. And we really feel there's a strong 
thread that connects those two, which is you're really trying to create that emotion and feeling through all of the touch points and human experiences that you have. And so the consumer experience and retail thing were really hand in hand for us. To date now, we have offices all over the U.S. in California, Portland, Oregon, and Soho, New York. Great. And I really appreciate the fact that you leaned into this mission, both for the larger retailers and brands, but also the emerging ones as well, because I do feel like just covering this industry that now more than ever, there is that opportunity for different players and different sized companies to almost learn from each other and kind of play from the same playbook in a certain respect. So it's interesting that you guys are kind of the connecting point. And, you know, obviously physical experiences are your bread and butter. It's what you do day in and day out. So I'm curious, knowing this scope of your customer base or your audience, what are you hearing from them? Like in terms of their goals, their priorities, especially as we think about where consumer demands are today for the physical environment? Because it's always evolving, but I feel like now especially we're at this really interesting juncture of like what consumers are are wanting and expecting from the store. You know, the goals are really aligned to the business. So they're not all necessarily the same. If you're a digitally native brand that's transitioning into retail, you may have a really aggressive approach. Maybe you're looking to open 25, 30 doors, and this could be part of your top line growth strategy. And then there's other smaller digitally native businesses that are looking at what their key city offerings could be and how they could use these as marketing vessels and experiences to help educate the consumer on the brand but they're not as concerned with the four wall sales and revenue of the space. So the needs and expectations and really the kind of ROI that the clients have really range across the board. I would say the one thing that all of them have in common is that they want to make sure that the environments are really connecting to the consumer and telling the brand story in a very organic and natural way to help them understand what the brand stands for as we all have seen, the consumers are really, really focused on supporting brands that have the same ethics that they do, that believe in the same things that they do in terms of whether that's around sustainability or whether it's around climate, whatever that may be. So helping communicate that messaging and those experiences in the four walls is predominantly what every brand's main objective has been. Excellent. Yeah, it's definitely very interesting to hear how brand leaders are looking for those connecting points between their business objectives and what they obviously need to accomplish to validate their investments in a business sense. But then it's also about creating these great environments that not only engage consumers, but truly immerse them in what the brand is all about, that deeper level of storytelling, so to speak, versus like, oh, we have like these product lines and we need to get them front and center to achieve like X sales outcomes. Like it just feels a bit more rich and a bit more dynamic than the discussions have been in the past. But double clicking, so to speak, into the consumer and what they're expecting, do you find that those connections are being bridged on the retailer side pretty well overall? Or do you think that brands need to kind of (laughs) get some coaching or, you know, work through that exercise a little bit more to understand that it isn't just about achieving X outcomes or having a really cool digital environment and like making sure it truly does meet the needs 
of the customer? Because I feel like it could be easy to get a little off track or maybe even get into that, you know, chasing game that I feel like so many brands do just to try and keep up with each other, but they lose sight of the customer. Yeah, it can be really easy to fall into that trap of I saw what somebody else did, so we need to do it. Um, But with that, I think there's, you know, our customers tend to have enough self-awareness to be highly focused on their consumer. And our job where we really come in, particularly for brands that are not in retail and are transitioning into brick and mortar, is to help them understand what their identity looks like in a physical environment. A lot of them have done a great job building an e-com business. They understand digital. They're able to communicate with their customers in a digital capacity really well. Their CRM tools are very bolstered up. And our job is to say, how do we take what you're about and bring this into a physical space We always put the consumer first before the brand. And that's because our job is to make an environment that people enjoy. We should impact their day. They should smile when they see the work that we've done. We should create some form of positive emotion for them and reaction that's visceral when they come to a space that we've been responsible for designing. And so we put them first. We understand the region as well as take all of the data around their core consumers plus the region that we're targeting and understand what that community looks like and how to bring those together in a really organic manner. Yeah, that's great, especially for those digitally native brands that are relatively new to retail. One thing they do really well is look at data, right? And they really try to get into the heart of what are the behaviors, what's happening. But sometimes when they make that move to physical retail, there's there's a bit of a gap. So it's nice that you help close that. So to that end, as we think about consumer trends, you mentioned digging into the community and an earlier response, you mentioned the hunger to connect with brands that align with their their values, their beliefs. Is there anything that you're seeing, like high-level trends around the consumer, what they're expecting? Like we've been hearing a lot about community spaces, obviously digital integration, but anything that's like really rising to the top for your team right now? The community one is still big. And where I see some of the shift of community happening is in the real estate selection process. So again, as you mentioned, There's a lot of really good consumer data, particularly with digitally native brands. And so it's become a lot easier for us to partner and take their information with some of our intellectual property and information that we use on understanding where these consumers reside and where they have opportunities and adjacencies to that consumer profile and doubling down on the community part. So traditionally, what did community mean? It meant opening a store somewhere and saying, we have this communal space in the back and you can hang out here. And I think that worked for a while, but fundamentally, that's just a, that's just an open area that somebody would put a coffee shop in or, you know, something to try to drive foot traffic and really get people to spend more time in the space where now is it's, we're creating more unique experiences in those communities that ties directly back to like what the culture of the community is, as well as the brand. So finding different areas that are not usually your A or B level cities that may have these really tight communities around, let's say, mountain bike riding and understanding how this is actually a community center that has activity and programming planned for the mountain biking community. It's not just a coffee shop. There could be different workshops. So all of the programming that goes in with the community side has definitely been a big part. A lot of people like to think about putting digital into their spaces because they feel that it's going to show that they're 
pushing ahead and they're being creative and thoughtful about innovation, but it doesn't always necessarily net the same ROI. And there's always some level of challenges with these types of digital integration. So it's still kind of this median of we're digitally overloaded in our day-to-day lives. So let's focus on bringing people together. Let's focus on community. And if there is a digital integration component to it, it's more about how we communicate to these people or perhaps how we allow them to get more immersive in storytelling that they can do with their mobile devices in, in a space if they want to know more about a product. And the other thing is really just creating, like you mentioned, a physical experience that people can learn from and they have something that they can share with other people. We just opened a store here in Soho two weeks ago and there's art installations in the store and you you have the opportunity to be educated on the artist who is a marine biologist and it's a completely sustainable art installation that he did, which the whole brand is a sustainable brand. So telling these different stories and touch points around how you can help the planet is something that drives value to the consumer as well. Yeah. So Brennan, can we dig a little bit deeper into that balance of creating experiences that resonate with the consumer, that are relevant, create that community, but also are still very brand aligned, brand relevant? Because I think the one thing that our readers are always thinking about is, okay, great, I do want to create these environments and drive that foot traffic. But ultimately, the goal is to sell stuff, right? Like, I guess my question for you is, are there any notable best practices or even projects that you've worked on where a brand has been able to really nail those consumer needs and expectations for community, for these great environments that align with their needs, but like the brand story and the brand differentiators are still very clear, very distinct, and kind of check the boxes as far as the brand goals go. Or maybe we've covered them already. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think you can do both and and it doesn't have to always be a cost component or at, at the risk of deteriorating your margin and profitability. Typically, when we look at pro formaing out of store, we have a rate of growth of the margin and sales year over year. So you're really investing up front into to the local consumer, to driving foot traffic and driving awareness. I am a lot of what I'm speaking to is is the digitally native brands moving into new markets. It's not always in your best interest to come in and expect to have a store that's performing at 30 to 40% EBITDA in year one, because that's only measuring four wall sales. So if you're getting outside of the four wall and you're understanding how this is impacting your digital sales, how it's impacting your brand equity, the view of the impact is far greater. And so it's to me, it's a very old way to look at retail is we're in it to make money, but how much revenue do these four walls produce versus actually measuring all of the data around the adjacent zip codes and understanding how much e-com has driven up over that time. How many of these consumers are finding out about your brand through their friends or by walking by or by participating in a community event and then taking that transaction home. So I I think it's a little bit of a different mentality in terms of the profitability section of it and equally understanding that a lot of these brands are building. So you don't want brands in the red. Our job is to make sure you're, you're in the green, but it's all about how you program the store. It's all about running it efficiently and making sure that the consumer experience is something that's unique, which is going to drive repeat foot traffic. So some of those kind of ancient rules of how we operate still exist and emerge their head as importance, which is the customer service and the experience and understanding how you can educate people on the product and the brand. And 
if you as a brand know what you stand for and you have your mission statement, you have your ethos, it gets a lot easier to distill that to the consumer in a physical space. I really like your point around kind of reframing the impact and, and results because I know there have been a lot of other discussions around like, how do we measure success of the store? Like, what is the impact? And of course, a lot of that ladders up to the goals of the space to begin with, right? So it seems like that's kind of, you know, flag, so to speak, that our listeners really need to be thinking about. But as they consider making store updates, opening new experiences, because, you know, we've done our own research of our audience and there was equal emphasis on new store locations as well as store redesigns, reformatting stores, etc. What are some of the I guess, missteps or possible pitfalls that our listeners should be looking out for in this process. Because I'm sure depending on the brand that you're working for, how much heritage or I guess baggage uh, your company has, there's kind of an old way of thinking about things, of looking at things. Is there anything that our listeners need to be looking out for as they have these internal conversations and, and start to build their plans for what these new store environments look like? The most important one is always real estate and understanding where your brand belongs and if you're going to the right place and what your expectations are. We all know how expensive New York is, and that may not be the right consumer for you. Just because you think New York, there's 9 million people, so we should put a store there. That doesn't make that a solid strategy. So the real estate component's a very important one. We spend a great deal of time around real estate with our customers. The other big one that it drives me kind of nuts um, is the copy-paste method. And we've seen a few brands do this recently in their race to open as many stores as they can. They have forgotten about the consumer and they put a brand flag approach first. You can design a beautiful store, but you shouldn't place that exact same copy-paste footprint in every market. Every market is unique and we want to be able to make sure that we understand the community, we want to make sure that we understand what's unique about that consumer. And so we've seen multiple times where the old model of create one model or design of a store and place that globally doesn't work anymore. You know, it used to be known as like the Starbucks model, right? You created this globally consistent brand. That's not what the consumers want today. If you need a store, Montana, let's say you have a big outdoor clientele, that's not the same store that you should be opening in Brooklyn or Williamsburg. So again, adaptation of maintaining who your brand is, but also understanding how that fits into the community and what that consumer and environment looks like, to me is a huge, not doing that is a huge misstep because those stores have nothing special about them. They're just copy paste. And there comes a point where you're moving into like C markets, I would say, when you've, you have so much concentration in A-level and B-level markets that you have a takedown version of your store that's a little bit more cost-effective and aligns more so in the design componentry than others. But Apple can do this, Starbucks can do it, but like brands that are in fashion, that are in community, like focused on having a point of differentiation and transitioning into this world, I, I think that one of the biggest red flags is just making one store design and copy pasting it in various markets. Yeah. Well, you mentioned what's called the Starbucks model and that model doesn't even work for Starbucks anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at how many variations they've created now, right? It's, yeah. Consumers want different experiences. And the other thing is just understanding that retail is not a set it and forget it. And you can't just open a store and throw some goals at it and, and assume it's going to perform. 
it has to be farmed. It has to be watered and nurtured. And you have to think about what your cycle is going to be in regard to doing merchandising refreshes, changing out window displays. And I know a lot of this stuff sounds like basic 101, but we've seen a lot of this with people who transition into brick and mortar from digitally native at D2C brands that they just set it and forget it. And then they don't understand why they can't maintain that sales momentum they had out the gate. So understanding how to activate the space is a very critical part. Yeah. And I guess a supporting or adjacent point to that is also using technology in a set it and forget it sort of way too. I know there have (laughs) been so many discussions, debates, articles about what has been happening with self-checkout even. That's probably a podcast episode in and of itself, right? Like so many retailers use that as the like silver bullet, like this is going to meet our needs and address the issues with our workforce. It's going to make it faster and easier for our consumers. But then that point of interaction, that point of engagement with the brand is gone and some people don't want that type of experience. So it's just been interesting to see the do do happening with that technology in particular. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, right? Because there's two very big different classes of retailers in that conversation. If your objective is you are digitally native, you've fallen into private equity, let's say, and your fastest way to grow top line and and grow the brand is going to be through retail ventures. The last thing you want is to not have a hand-to-hand experience for people to get to know the brand and educate the consumer. If you're Best Buy or Target and you're looking at how do I control labor costs, everybody already knows who we are. We want to drive people to the store, but we want to minimize our SG&A and overhead. I understand your want to create selfless checkout, but as humans, we do so crave interaction. If you're trying to grow a brand, you need those brand evangelists in your store, educating consumers, walking them through it, telling them what's special about your product. You know, that's the human to human connection that you can't replace when you're trying to grow. It's pretty vital to that growth. Oh, that's a good point. There's definitely some nuance there. And I know you've mentioned a lot of your work has been with digitally native brands going into brick and mortar. So I do want to make sure we spend some time on that because I know we've covered it. I know a lot of other media companies have covered it. The successes and shortcomings of that transition that many brands have made into physical retail slash omni-channel. But then there are debates around just the evolution of D2C as we know it, right? So I'm sure you've been in a lot of uh, meetings and conversations around this very topic. So I'm curious, like, how are discussions shaping up around this in your chats with D2C leaders, those that are kind of in the trenches, so to speak, helping drive their brands into this new era? And is this a long-term reality that is just going to be shaping the market as we know it? Like, what's your take on what's happening now? So we still have, and this figure is a little outdated now, but what is it? 92% of retail sales all still happen in brick and mortar. Yeah. So it's a very, very long road to being completely digital. The understanding that this is a place for experience, for education, is where most people are hammering down and understanding how you can leverage the two together and say, how does this brick and mortar store help drive revenue to the system I have set up really well, which is my e-com platform, it falls into the strategy. So for some brands, there may be a more cost-conscious approach versus doing a massive flagship store. It may be a little bit more cost-conscious. Hey, we want to get X amount of doors open in these markets. 
but our CapEx budget is only this because they have the limitations within what they can spend versus going and opening the new Tiffany's store in, in New York, right? Those are pretty significantly different kind of budgetary and experience components. But the brick and mortar component isn't going anywhere anytime soon. But what you're hearing is just the continued need to reevaluate how that creates an emotional impact for a consumer and how this is the one place where still to this day, you completely own your brand. All the storytelling of who you are is completely up to you. And you're able to share that in a one-to-one capacity by having the right staff who can help tell those stories and having the right environment that really evokes what the brand stands for. So if anything, what we've seen is digital brands needing to make the move because it's harder to grow at the pace that they had grown at originally as they start to tap out at 40, 50 million in top line digitally, that cost of conversion starts to get significantly higher digitally. And it actually starts to pencil out to make a lot more sense to move into brick and mortar. The other part of that is if you are a private equity backed business, if you have the ability to open 20, 25 retail doors and they're all going to do a million plus tick top line, you've added 25 million to your top line. And at some point, I'm assuming your backers are looking for a second transaction. And so this is a really fast way to capitalize the cost, grow the brand, grow the brand equity, as well as the top line. So brick and mortar still makes a lot of sense, even for digitally native brands. Some of the older brands have to make adjustments. They Having 500 stores may not make sense for them anymore. Maybe they need to be a little bit more focused on the real estate, renegotiating real estate, what the key markets are. But it's, all that's done is create opportunity for all the digital brands moving into the space. Got it. And then I have to ask, are there ever cases where it doesn't make sense for a brand to go into brick and mortar? Or is it a matter of changing the vehicle through which they're going into brick and mortar? So it's not so much a permanent store, maybe it's a pop-up or a product drop, collab, like that's where you kind of get into the alternative type experiences. I I guess I'm trying to self-navigate. Is there a decision tree where it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe we don't need stores right now or ever? Or is it just like, It's only a matter of time before you need to open a store. It's just a matter of when. I think it's absolutely both. So there are a lot of brands that we meet with and I'm very honest and I say, I don't, I don't think you need to move into retail. I don't think it's the right time. It could be a budgetary component. It could be size and scale. There could be faster ways to get to their goals. As mentioned, brick and mortar is not a set it and forget it. And so having the foundational team to actually run and manage multiple doors becomes very cumbersome. And it's a different skill set than somebody who's highly functional and operational in the digital side of the business. So it requires a whole different team of individuals. And that's a lot of overhead. So there's been multiple brands where said, I don't think it's the right time. But if you want to do something, let's find the right strategy around a cultural moment, an experience, something happening in a city that's connected to your consumers. And of course, let's look at what does a short-term pop-up look like? You don't have any fixed overhead. You're not signing a long-term lease that you're not ready for. You don't need to spend a million dollars in a CapEx budget to build the new space, plus all the, you know, the overhead that's going to be associated with staffing that and inventory management and everything else. So it's actually very often that we say that we don't feel it's the right time in the business to make that type of decision and look at more non-conventional methodologies around the brick and mortar consumer experience. And that's why I think the two are so blended together. Some of our brands will design really cool mobile trailers. And I mean like big trailers that Mm. they can drive around. And that thing can go anywhere. That thing can be at a PGA tour stop. That can be 
at a hiking event, uh, an Ironman event, right? And so, and that has a retail component to it. And they are getting a lot of the same value and new consumers every time. And the cost and overhead's a lot less. And there's no long-term lease on the space. And the commitment's a little bit easier to to digest when you're at a little bit more of an infant stage of the business. Hmm. That's a really good point. I feel like we always sleep on the whole trailer concept because like you said, it's so much more agile. You can literally show up wherever your customer is and it's basically a roadshow for your brand, right? So I think that unlocks some really fun ideas and opportunities for our listeners. But beyond that, I mean, are there any other trends that your tracking or any new ideas that are being unlocked within your day-to-day work that are showing some new and exciting opportunities for store design and experience. Like you mentioned cultural moments and like activations. That's one area I love so much, especially the intersection of media and retail and what opportunities exist there. But is there anything that is really getting you revved up, excited in your day-to-day that you think is important to call out? One thing that I've really been excited about and I love seeing is the shift in the real estate mindset and the markets in which you're going after. So we work with Fortune 100 brands and we work with these digital native brands that are growing, right? They're sub 100 million. So we get to see both sides of it. And what I've really loved about seeing the shift in strategy is as we have more and more data to support and and leveraging AI to do quite a bit of this, to support where these consumers live and how they best tie back to the brand. When everybody's going right, we're going left on a lot of these. And what I mean by that is we're going to cities that you wouldn't assume would be even in your top 30 stores. The traditional mindset of, okay, we've got to have LA, we have to have Chicago, we have to have New York, and then you go, okay, we have to have Atlanta, like all the traditional key cities. That's not the approach that a lot of the brands and starts are taking. We're looking at what are these really interesting micro markets. We just opened a store in Bentonville, Arkansas, and it was the first new retail store for the Fox brand that has been opened in, I don't know, five, six years. Completely new concept, completely built around the outdoor lifestyle because there is this really amazing outdoor hiking, mountain bike riding community that's been built there. And most people on a spreadsheet just wouldn't even consider that market, right? So some of the places that I've been traveling to lately with our clients has been really interesting. They're places I'm not used to going to as often. And so that's something to me that when you're really, really hyper-focused on your customer and not focused on where in, let's just say for the US, has the highest click of foot traffic, not thinking about the fact that your consumer may only be 0.0001% of those people. You're looking at, wow, where is our consumer or the person who ties directly to our consumer? And that that may be in Wyoming, that may be in Montana. So it's been a lot of fun looking at kind of some of these non-traditional real estate markets. And we have multiple customers doing this in non-traditional key cities. And that's been a lot of fun because it's really gives you the opportunity to be very authentic and community driven and think about what really fits in with the community in those spaces. That's super fun. And it's always good to see what new growth opportunities exist within those overlooked areas, right? Well, Brandon, I feel like we have uncovered a lot of tips and best practices throughout our entire conversation, which is always beneficial for my team. Um, But if we were to kind of distill 
a few takeaways, best practices even, because we're going to be running this in peak prepare for 2024, even 2025. And I feel like this world of retail and stores especially, it's it's a never-evolving, ever-moving thing. So what one or two things would you share with our listeners to get them kind of thinking, get them to help kind of shape or refine their plans over the next couple of years? Like what would those big things be? I think the first is the something I've probably said too many times in our conversation, which is put the consumer first. Think about the consumer first and foremost, uh, understanding your customer, listening to your customer and knowing what it is that, that they want, where they are, what they're doing and what they're passionate about and making sure that that's part of your leading vision with everything that you're doing. Brands oftentimes get stuck in our own kind of four walls and listening to each other. And you can have a little bit of uh, internal fatigue. And so it's really, really important to be listening to the consumer and understanding everything that they're thinking, where their style trends are going, who they're, what they're passionate about, and understanding how to be very authentic in the ways that that connects back to your brand. So listening and maintaining authenticity you know, knocked a pickleball. But if you're a fantastic soccer brand, just because pickleball is going crazy, don't try to be a pickleball company. Like maintain that authenticity and who you are and what your brand is all about and be hyper-focused on your customers and not just focused on how do I grow. Think about how you have long-term, steady, scalable growth and not how you can just capture a big consumer base quickly. Hmm. That's a good point. I think there's a very fine line between showing up in new and unexpected ways versus doing so because it's what's trendy or it's what everybody's talking about. Because I I think consumers, especially younger shoppers, can definitely smell when it's a little little off the beaten path in a negative way way. So the the line is very fine there, I'm sure. Absolutely. And everybody you associate your brand with, whether that is influencers that you're partnered with or athletes, it's a very important vetting process in my mind to make sure that they tie back to all the core values of the brand and what the brand stands for and making sure that you just, you know, as times may get a little challenging, you go into Q1, that's always a tough retail time for people. You can fall off your goal. You can get a little nervous and shaky when Q1 gets slow. And I think it's having diligence and making sure that you understand what your goal is and you maintain your heading and don't let yourself drift off of that. Love it. Well, Brendan, this has been a super insightful conversation. It's always beneficial to get the folks that are doing the work, having these tough conversations with brands and retailers as they figure out their next moves in this world of retail and store experience. So thank you again so much for taking the time out to chat with me. Oh, thank you, Alicia. I greatly appreciate your time today. And to all of you listening, we would love to keep the conversation going on this topic. We always do. So if you have any follow-up questions around this episode or anything particular you'd like to ask Brendan himself, leave us a comment on social media. We are at Retail Touchpoints on LinkedIn, on our Touchpoints, on X. We'd love to hear your feedback on the episode as well. And hopefully this will lead to an ongoing discussion around the new ideas and inspiration points that you're leveraging 
for your store experience. And of course, if you haven't subscribed to the show, be sure to do so. We're speaking with folks like Brandon every week, digging into the latest topics and trends on all things customer experience. So when you do subscribe, you will get the latest and greatest delivered to your device. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, frankly, anywhere else. We're probably there as well. And while you're there, be sure to leave us your thoughts and a review on the show. Thanks again to Brandon so much for taking the time out to chat with me. And thanks to all of you. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.